There are a lot of things up here i got to navigate around. All right, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we will have the text up on the screens. I mean, I, can we go ahead and get the lights up, please? Um, Matthew 28. If you don't have a Bible, we'll have the uh, text up on the screens behind me. Uh, we also have some physical Bibles scattered around the room, little racks beneath the seats. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, uh, let, me, let me invite you to take that physical one home. We believe that God uses his word for all kinds of important things, but chief among all those important things is that he uses it to reveal himself to his people. Uh, we, we want you to know God. We want everything in and about and around your life uh, to be shaped by that knowing of him, defined through the lens of that knowing him. And so if you don't have a Bible of your own, take that one. Uh, we'll call it a big old win. Um, so it is the first Sunday of a brand new year. And if you've been here for any length of time at all, you know that that means a very specific thing for us. Uh, for one thing, uh, the beginning of the year is kind of this marker for kind of new things, a return to, to regular rhythms. Like how many of y'all are just ready to have a normal week? Am I the only one that thinks that way? Is it, is it wrong of me to, to like, am I, am I a bad person that I just want like a normal week where things aren't just crazy? Like, how many of you are ready to drive back down to South Nashville? It's been like since Thanksgiving since I've gone that direction. I, I just, I want normal again. I want to go where I want to go. I want the kids to be in school. I want the work schedule to not have some weird thing that I got to plan. Like, it's just good. I'm ready for that, and, and this today marks the beginning of that for me, and I'm kind of excited about it, all right? Just kind of ex a lot of excited about it. Another thing about the new year uh, that people most, you know, kind of most people recognize and I think gravitate towards uh, is this kind of feeling of a fresh start. We, and we try to lean into that here too, right? Like the, a fresh start is it's kind of this ingrained idea. Whether you do the resolution thing or you don't do the resolution thing, uh, like we— People kind of feel that at the beginning of the year, you get to kind of start over, right? And to be clear, flipping a single page on a calendar doesn't make all of our problems go away. Like, nobody's dumb enough to, to believe that. But there also seems to be this buried deep down inside of us sense that, that we got a, a fresh start. We, we can try a little differently. We can, we can change up the game just a little bit, and we can work on this thing, and we can maybe work on that thing, and we can get some things figured out. And so you don't have to be super into resolutions to be on purpose about what's valuable to our lives. Resolutions are nothing more than tools that we can either pick up or set down based on how we're aiming at what God wants us to be. And so if they're a good tool for you, pick it up and use it. If they're not such a good tool for you, then don't worry about it. But we all kind of get that there's this kind of a feeling buried deep down in us of a fresh beginning, a new start. But there's another thing that fascinates me about the beginning of the year. And it's another something that we've kind of tried to make a habit around here of commandeering for a good purpose. And it's the State of the Union Address. And it's totally not a polarizing thing in our culture, right? Those of you who hate the political circus would rather saw your arm off than have to sit and watch that thing. Those of us who kind of understand the political circus and maybe even, uh, you know, like and quietly kind of enjoy the political circus, we, we kind of lean into that and we know what's going on. We know how all the pieces fit together. And so we kind of enjoy the political surface, circus. Uh, but even then, even for the, the smaller group of people who actually like it, we're still divided based on what team we tend to vote for, right? And so there's a lot of conflict there. And so the State of the Union, it happens every single year at the beginning of the year. And I mean, it's the American political engine in its highest RPMs. 
It's just absolutely redlining. And you got, you got people applauding every single minor talking point. So a speech that should take 20 minutes ends up taking two hours. And then you got the other team. The camera cuts to the other team, and they're sitting there with a, their arms crossed and a frown on their face. Right? Something said that's innocuous, that totally sounds innocuous, but everybody knows it's not innocuous because there's a bunch of political baggage attached to it. But the talking point on the news that night is Team B doesn't like innocuous things. You know how the game is played. It's the game we all play. And, and circus really is the only appropriate word for the spectacle of it all, right? But if you strip away all the theatrics, you strip away all the, the nonsense, I think the State of the Union is actually an incredibly brilliant thing. In fact, I think it's good leadership. Um, ignore the gamesmanship, ignore the posturing. If you get it rolled back to its intended design, I think it's actually downright genius. You get everybody in one room, and you talk about how the year went. You talk about the good stuff, and you talk about the not-so-good stuff, and, and then you cast vision for how you think the year ahead ought to go. That's just good leadership technique right there. It's actually an incredibly brilliant idea. And so every year on the first Sunday of the year, and today is the first Sunday of the year, we steal an idea from really smart, gen, uh, smart leaders generations ago, hopefully without all the politics and the theatrics. I really don't want to see anybody folding their arms and scowling. <laughs> I'll put you on the news later, I promise. So we got everybody in the same room. How'd it go last year? I mean, there's a lot of theatrics, right? <laughs> Honestly, I think it went pretty good. And obviously, there's, there's a lot of caveats and disclaimers and qualifiers to that. But seriously, I think it was a good year, at least for our church family. If you remember, I stood here last year in this moment, and we said that COVID was probably going to continue to wreak havoc on all of our plans and calendar. But our job, our job, was not to worry about the COVID thing. Our job was to do what we feel like we've been called to do and let God take care of the results. And that's exactly what we did. We knocked that one out of the park. Furthermore, we did it in a way that I think remind, that kind of remained true to what I think is our own character and, and style. Simple, laid back, but always diligently pressing into things that we believe that God has called us to hold up as valuable here. We did that really, really well. We, we had some really big plans that didn't happen this last year because of COVID. They just never got off the ground in 2021. Plans for mission trips and outreach events. We had plans for uh, expanding our small groups. And COVID kicked every one of those to the curb, man, like it was mad at them. I'm guessing that probably happened at your house, too, with a lot of stuff. I mean, anybody not touched by this? Anybody that didn't have the thing you really wanted to do just absolutely tossed around by something you couldn't control? But we also had a really, and I mean really long list of things that were taken away from us in 2020 that we found a way to pull off in 2021. I, I know remembering back a full year ago is kind of harder for some of us to do, but at the, at the beginning of last year, we kicked off our Wednesday night Bible studies for a short little season. And, 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 and in addition to that, we also brought 
food back to our fellowship time. Why? Because that's important to us. <laughs> Katie's happy. <laughs> no, like, like it's, coffee's good, but you know what's re- extra good? Sugary stuff. <laughs> we felt that that was an important thing. We wanted to show hospitality. That, w- that was something we valued here, and so we figured it out. We made it happen. Um, and so, by God's grace, we, we got there. And, and because we got there, Easter rolled along, and we said, you know what? Let's figure out the deacon breakfast, too. That's important to us. And it was complicated and different, but COVID wasn't going to stop us, and so it was pretty good. And besides, different is kind of on brand for us. It just kind of worked. And so because Easter went well, we decided, hey, let's do some more outside food things. And so what did we do? We kicked off a once-a-month hot dog fellowship outside under the tent. Why hot dogs? Because we're cheap. <laughs> Again, incredibly on brand for us. It was also really good. The best attended one we had almost got everybody caught in a giant rainstorm. <laughs> the second best one we had, we got to watch Jim Dempsey swing a baseball bat. <laughs> like, who doesn't love that image? <laughs> Everybody saw it, had a good time. Also, over the summer, we brought back vacation Bible school. We tinkered with the dates on our calendar. We tinkered with the timing a little bit, all in an attempt to try to serve a need that we saw in our community. And, and because of that effort, because we figured out a way, we saw a bunch of kids from our community running around our campus. In addition to all of our normal kids running around of our, our campus, it was kind of a circus, just like the State of the Union address. But during that circuit, we got to spend a whole week telling a bunch of kids about Jesus. That's a win. Pandemic or not. And because it happened during a pandemic, that's a big old win. Did VBS look different than last year? Yup, and that's okay. Did it look different from all the VBSs that we've done in the past? Yeah, yeah, it very much did. But we walk in faithfulness, and we trust God to bring the results, right? I think he did. I think he did. Passed through the summer, we get to the fall, we brought back our Wednesday night family meals. And that's about as much of a no-nonsense moment for us as you can, you can probably get. It's as stripped down as things can be. And so it's also something, though, apparently that a lot of our church family dearly missed because the response to that was really big. We packed probably way more people than we should have in that tiny little room. so we paired that time with a prayer meeting. And man, I think God used that time to, for some really important things for us. I think he grew us in some things and aligned our hearts with some things. I look back on that little semester-long season, and I'm pretty thankful for it. I think God grew us as a church family in that time. I'm excited for whatever the next step will be. You know, like starting this week, we're, we're, our plan is to bring our Bible studies back and incorporate it with that time. So we'll have a family meal and then the Bible studies. And man, I'm kind of excited about what God's going to do in that season. It's a, it's a good week for us. Also this fall, we brought back our big Thanksgiving and Christmas meals. Have you noticed, by the way, that most of the most valuable things to us all involve food? 
you're new here and you're still feeling this out, here's what you need to know. We talk about Jesus a lot. We don't have a lot of patience for pretense. And we're probably the church that's going to most quickly give you heart disease. It's just, welcome to Nashville Baptist. So as I look back on this past year, what, what I see what I see, maybe, maybe you have a different perspective than me, but what I see is us fighting to prioritize simple things that honor Jesus. And I see us continually faithfully proclaiming the word of God. And I see us continuing to serve others both inside our church family and outside of our church family. And, and I see us leaning into the beauty of the fellowship that God has seen fit to give us here. For all the problems of this last year, I'll take these any day of the week. You with me on that? So I'll go ahead and say out loud what I hope you're already figured out. And I couldn't be more proud of our church this year. Have we done all the things that we set out last year to accomplish? No, not even close. Have we hit all of the metrics that you know, we, we were aiming at because we believed God was calling us to aim at? Not a bit. But have we walked faithfully, pressing in to the most important things and allowed God to do what God wants to do? Yeah, we've done that pretty well this year. We've done that incredibly well this year. I, I see that dynamic playing out all over the place in our church family. There's a lot to celebrate. And so God has clearly blessed us with some massive things this year and in some massive ways this last year, both in our faithfulness and, and honestly, like, let's, let's be clear about it, honestly, in spite of us a lot of times. God's been faithful. That's what he does. It's who he is. And so in this moment where we celebrate the faithfulness of God to get us through this last year and even bless us this last year, the smartest thing to do is to stop and thank the giver of the gifts, right? So let's pray. Father, thank you for for all that happened and all that you did in 2021. We confess that there are things that frustrated us and things that let us down and things that, honestly, we didn't do as well as probably should have. But like you've continually proved throughout every generation of your people, you are good and you are faithful. And you are working all things to the good of those who love you. And you are the one who will get the glory for all the good things going on here. And so we want to give you that glory. We don't ever want to clap or applaud ourselves, pat ourselves on the back for these things. You are the one who did a mighty work. Thank you for being near. Thank you for being the God who walks with us in spite of us. But also thank you for all the incredibly wonderful things that have gone on here this year. We pray that we see them clearly. We pray that we stop and thank you for them. We pray that others who are just on the fringe here will get a taste of the beauty of who you are because of what you have done. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you're ready to look at what I think God is calling us to chase after in 2022? How many of you think it's really, really creative and visionary? I'm getting smart. All right, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. 
starting in verse 16. It's a text that hopefully you're incredibly familiar with. If not, welcome to the Great Commission. Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, hey, isn't that the text that you preached last year in this very moment? Yup. And I've been here for a few years now. Isn't that the text you preached the year before that? Yup. And the year before that, too. So what, what's so creative and visionary about, about the Great Commission? Nothing. The, the answer is nothing. Um, other than that this is apparently King Jesus' plan for establishing his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, so that matters, right? This is Jesus' plan. See, at the end of the day, God's people have not been called to be creative or to be visionary. What we're called to is to make disciples of all nations, period. Um, whether we're talking about our church or we're talking about some other properly ordered, biblically ordered church that you might come across down the road from here, uh, the church has one job to do, just one, make disciples. There are a lot of other jobs that help serve that one job, other lesser jobs that serve that one job, but we have one primary job to do, make disciples, full stop. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. That doesn't mean that we can't or shouldn't use creative and fresh ideas to help us accomplish our one job. I think we ought to, to do that, and cre creativity is never out of bounds for us or foreign to us or sinful for us. Redeemed creativity is glorifying to God and can be an incredibly huge benefit to the church. Like, we got our graphic designer person in our church to handle our sermon uh, uh, graphics, I guess, for our next sermon series coming up in a couple of weeks. I shouldn't do that job. I'm not as creative as Garrett is, right? So creative, uh, creativity and, and, and all these fresh ideas, talent, they can be used in an incredibly beneficial way to serve the church. It should just never, ever, ever be an end unto itself. It's not the top of the mountain. It's a tool that can be picked up and used faithfully, which means it's also a tool that can sometimes be picked up and used unfaithfully. It can get in the way. If you need a screwdriver and you pick up a hammer, you're about to cause a problem. No matter if we're talking about things that have been around here for 50 years or things that we're only trying out today because we already have a different idea for next week, no matter what category our ideas happen to fall into, whether they're traditional or creative or fresh or kind of old-fashioned, they are either something that help us accomplish our one job to do or they're something that stands in the way of our one job to do. Matthew 28 is the measuring stick. Are there other quasi-important measuring sticks? Sure, but Matthew 28 is the measuring stick. But why? Why would that be the most important thing to us? Well, because right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said, quote, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And either, either, that statement is true, and it is an absolutely massive statement, a statement that literally affects 
everything in the cosmos, or B, that statement is not true, and nothing else that Jesus has said matters at all. Jesus is a liar if that statement isn't true. He's a megalomaniac who should be rejected and dismissed, possibly even jailed before he hurts somebody. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If Jesus is wrong about that claim, if he's wrong about that authority, then we shouldn't listen to a single other thing that he has said. But, but if Jesus is right about that authority, then whatever comes out of his mouth next carries an all authority in heaven and on earth kind of expectation attached to it. Meaning, whatever he says next isn't some mere suggestion for his people that, you know, maybe we, like, we can get to if we don't have anything more important going on. Get around to it one of these days. It's on my to-do list, Jesus. It's just not the highest priority. No, it's a command from our Lord and King. Jesus says, therefore, because he has all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore, make disciples of all nations. Make other followers of me from all of the other peoples out there. Evangelize them, baptize them, disciple them. Go and teach them to do what I've commanded and taught you to do. That's how we make disciples. It's the command from our king. Uh, okay. Sure, it sounds important. So, I don't know, what does that look like? How do we do that as a church? Like, how does that affect our activities and our structures and our calendars? Like, how do we actually pull that off? Well, I got a couple of ideas. For starters, I think we need to push forward on some key things, but in a way that both honors and seeks to emulate the God-glorifying parts of our past. We need to push forward on some key things, but in a way that both honors and seeks to emulate the God-glorifying parts of our past. Uh, let's start with the honor part. So depending upon when you start counting, and there's a lot of different points that we could start counting, a lot of them are really good points, uh, but depending on when your start date is, this summer will be our church's 50th anniversary. We've been around for 50 years. Some people want to point to kind of different dates. Some people want to point to a Bible study that started in somebody's home as the beginning of our church. That's an incredibly important moment, an incredibly valuable moment. We couldn't have this without that moment. Others want to kind of point to the, 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 our identity as a church as starting with the first public gathering as a mission. That's also a really big deal, the, the day that we began inviting people to come check out this, this new thing. Um, but I prefer, I prefer to start counting in June of 1972. And the reason for that is this, because that's when we officially constituted as a church. That's the day that, that I think we finally committed ourselves to each other. We move from being loosely connected to a special growing religious thing to taking the next step and saying, I am planting myself and my family here. That's a moment that matters. I'm going to love you. I'm going to look for ways to serve you. I'm going to seek your spiritual welfare and, and seek to provide what I'm able to provide so that we all flourish here. And, and I'm going to trust that you're doing all of those things for me. I'm here. 
June of 1972 is when that happened. No doubt about it, there are a lot of other really important, really special churchy things that happened before that moment, but June of 1972 was the moment that we became what I think the New Testament would call a church. And so 50 years later now, we're going to make a big old deal out of it. That's a good moment. We want to celebrate it, so we're throwing a little party this summer. 50th anniversary celebration. It's going to happen 4th of July weekend. Uh, that's a weekend that we usually have a bunch of other fun stuff planned, so we're going to incorporate it all together, and, and so we're going to spin it into kind of an anniversary celebration this year. Uh, we want to honor and celebrate as many of the incredible things that God has done here over half a century now. That is a massive testimony of something. That's a story that needs to be told. And so every good thing going on today is standing on the shoulders of the faithfulness of generations past. And we need to acknowledge that. We need to pay very careful attention to that. And so we're going to spend some time this summer celebrating that faithfulness. We're going to aim for that. But not just celebrate it. We also want to emulate that faithfulness of the past. So that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that we need to make our church and the activities of our church look more like they did 50 years ago. There's a few things around here that we are very happy have progressed over the last 50 years. God has shifted us and changed us and grown us and expanded us in a hundred different ways, and all those ways are good. But the vision to plant ourselves in this community. The generosity, that, that sacrifice of itself because we believe that, that what God is doing and the fame of his name was worth it. The, the dedication to faithfully week in and week out and week in again proclaim God's word. Yeah, yeah, that needs to be copied as often as we can copy it. Upside down and inside out, over and over again, just Xerox that piece. We want to emulate the faithfulness of of our past. So before we even get to a party this summer, I think, I think in the spirit of faithful generations long ago, it's also time to take the next step in our own version of faithfulness today. We need, we need to trust God and take the step just like what was handed to us. So I'm, I'm putting my foot on the gas this morning. Um, I mentioned it back in September at our business meeting, uh, but I, I, I want to take the next step this morning. I'm calling our church family to seriously, and I mean seriously consider, changing the structure of our church leadership to what would be called an elder-led model. An elder-led model. I believe it to be a more faithful expression of what the Bible would hold up as the way churches ought to be ordered. And so that doesn't mean that things are bad here, far from it. In fact, they're pretty good here in a lot of ways. But I would also argue that the best things about what's going on here are the pieces that look the most like the biblical model. And the things that aren't going so well here are the pieces that look the least like the biblical model. So I think it's time for us to take the next step. But, but we're not a burn it down and start from scratch kind of people. And I'm very happy that we're not a burn it all down and start from scratch kind of people. So this is a slow fuse. 
All right, this isn't something we're, we're blowing up overnight. This is a slow fuse. And so back in September, we called everybody to, to begin digging into what the Bible says about church leadership and, and to, to come to these conclusions on their own. And so today we're taking the, another small step in that. Uh, in the back, we produced a questionnaire uh, outlining a few texts, and we, we attached some other extra biblical resources to that that you can go and check out. Um, this, this isn't worth doing because I think it's right. It, no, nothing around here is ever worth doing because I think it's right. All right? If God is in this, it is only worth doing if as a church we are all convinced that this is what the Bible teaches. So if you consider yourself one of the mature ones here, go chasing it. Figure out what the Bible says about this. We put a resource in the back to, to help you in that search. We've equipped you with another layer this morning. If by chance you weren't around in September when we were talking about this, feels like an atom bomb. All right. Come talk to me after class if you've got questions. Questions are always welcome around here. But structure leadership changes aren't the only thing that I think we need to press forward on. Uh, the next one is actually why the lights are on right now. Um, so when COVID happened, uh, we had the initial lockdown, right? And so all we had in here was a small team of people on the, on the platform uh, and just to, to pull off music stuff and preaching and tech stuff in, in the back. And so uh, back then, we, we just kept the lights off. One, because the platform is lit. You don't need the lights in the room to see what's on the stage. Also, um, they're doing pretty well today, but usually these fluorescents flicker, <laughs> all right? And so it looks a lot better on the video if there's not flickering fluorescent bulbs. Also, can you hear the buzz? Listen to it. The younger your ears are, the more you can hear it. Gets picked up by the microphones and amplified. It's, it's a good day. And so when the initial lockdown ended and we were able to bring people back into this space, we made the decision then, or I made the decision then, to just go ahead and, and kind of keep the lights off because well, it, it, was, it was easier not to deal with all the nonsense that the fluorescent bulbs produced. But it also created a new problem. It, it prevented people from seeing their Bibles. That's a that's a big problem, and I need to apologize to you for that. I'm sorry. My mental calculus was wrong on that one. It was wrong. We need to fix the lights. and um, They're annoying. In fact, they're actually a problem. But seeing our Bibles is not, I'll say it again, it is not an acceptable thing to trade off to, for a minor inconvenience like the lights. I was wrong on that one. I'm sorry. It's inconsistent with who we've historically been. It's inconsistent with who we claim to be. I didn't lead us well on that one. So we now have a plan to help us replace the lights in here. And so we priced some stuff out. We had a couple of guys working on the project. They, they know what they're talking about. I don't know what I'm talking about. But I had other people working on this. And, and so we want to push that plan forward for you for our Harvest Day offering emphasis uh, this year. Right now, it looks like it'll take us about $5,000 to completely, or a little over $5,000 to completely replace the light system in this room. Just completely do everything over and fix the problem. And so uh, that, that's, that's what we want to put forward for our, our Harvest Day uh, emphasis this year. But you have my word that we're not going to wait until we fix the lights to turn the lights back on. We're, we're going to fix the Bible problem today. So we're just going to have to endure the annoyance of the lights until we get the lights fixed. Sound good? Good. After we uh, 
pay for the lights. We'll throw the rest of the money in the parking lot fund as we did last year, and we'll continue to press into what God is calling us to kind of establish for generations to come long after we're here. Faithfulness of our past leads to faithfulness that's required of us today, and we'll hopefully set the platform and make it stand on their shoulders 50 years from now. Sound good? Good. So what's another thing I think we need to push forward forward on while we honor and emulate our past? Well, I think we need to continue pressing forward on raising up some leaders here. Raising up some leaders here. And, and some of that is fleshed out with the elders thing. Some of that is fleshed out in the thousand little things around here that get done that often get overlooked. Um, we have an incredibly long history here, and, and I mean an incredibly long history here, of people stepping up to serve. But, but even beyond the stepping up to serve, even people stepping up to help other churches in our area who don't have a lot of people who are able to serve. Have you noticed that about us? Um, through our denominational partners in New England, I get to see a lot of different setups. I get to talk to a, a lot of pastors of sister churches we partner with. And, and there are a lot of churches, and I mean a lot of churches in New England, who don't have uh, what we have. They don't have a second guy who can preach, let alone the five or six like we got. They don't have a second person who can stand up and do music for the day. Uh, they don't have, uh, like, their, their, their church situations are one where if they're one kids Sunday school teacher gets sick, their entire children's ministry goes down for a month. If they're one guy who knows how to turn on the soundboard, can't make it in that day, they're going to have to do church service this morning without a microphone. We have been incredibly, incredibly blessed here. Okay, but how does that concern us? Well, there's a pretty consistent pattern in the Bible. It seems that whenever God blesses one of his people, the expectation always following on the heels of that is that they would turn around and be a blessing to others. Always. We have an embarrassment of riches here. God has blessed us in countless ways. And as I, as I look at how I hope we'll grow over this next year, I think our bench is going to get even deeper. We, we probably ought to do something with that. Probably ought to do something with that. I think we need to take the next step and be a blessing to those outside of here. What exactly does that mean? Well, I don't know. It may mean that we need to take a good long look at raising up a church plant. It may mean that we need some people around here to answer the, the call to long-term missions, send them off to go do gospel work somewhere else. It may just mean that we live more open-handedly and we go looking for opportunities to offer what we're good at to other churches in some way. I, I don't know. I, I just know that when God gives something, it's very rarely expected to end on you. He expects us to turn around and be a blessing to others. We are stewards of God's gifts, and so we probably ought to get to stewarding. We keep our foot on the gas by raising up new leaders, and we deploy them as often as possible in all the ways that we happen to stumble across. So the first way that we practically aim at making disciples this year is the one on the screen. Push forward on some key things, but in a way that both honors and seeks to emulate the God-glorifying parts of our past. But the second one is this. I think we need to chase after disciple-making this year by actually chasing potential disciples. By actually chasing them. I, I think we need to aim and go gunning for action steps when it comes to moving people along healthy pathways. 
If someone is just an acquaintance to you, we, we work, and I, and I mean work, to move them into the category of friendship. And if they're a friend, we work to move them into uh, uh, toward a relationship with Jesus. And if they know Jesus, we work to move them into a church membership somewhere. And, it, and once they're members, we push them towards service and on and on and on it goes. Uh, okay, that sounds really cool, but that also kind of sounds like you're turning somebody into a project. That doesn't sound good. I thought that was bad. If you do it wrong, yeah, that's exactly what it is. You're turning somebody into a project. It's not good. In fact, it's a terrible thing. It's unloving in almost every way. I'll admit, there's a fine line between what I'm talking about and what, what that would be, turning somebody into a project. But listen, you don't guard against turning someone into a project by refusing to be intentional with them. That's equally unloving equally loving. In fact, if, if someone truly matters to you, laziness is not an option. It's just not. In, in fact, it might even be hateful. Why? Because you value what, how they might react more than what's eternally good for them. Your mental calculus is off. I think we need to give serious attention to actually doing something with the gospel opportunities in front of us in 2022. We need to be on purpose to lovingly chase people. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I know, but, like, things are complicated right now, right? Like, everybody's schedule's weird. We're just getting back into normal. And, you know, COVID makes it really hard to get, get together right now. Politicians use COVID to do dumb stuff. You don't have to play their games. We're not going to let that stop us. We can prioritize what is good and right and honoring of the Lord. Is it costly? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But it's also good. And I think that if we would do that, 2022 might just end up being the best year ever. Despite all the crazy and chaos that's going around outside of here. It might just be the best year that God has ever given us. I'm excited about what God has in store for us over this next calendar year, this next 12 months. I'm sure half of it we have no clue about. I'm sure a bunch of the stuff we were trying to plan is going to get kicked to the curb too. That's okay. God is still good. He's also a lot smarter than me. Maybe we should trust him instead of anything I plan. I've got a better long-term vision. So what do, we, what do we do with this stuff, right? I mean, how, how in the world do you respond to this? It's a weird week. And I'm, I'm kind of happy that it's a weird week. Right? Normally, we spend a big chunk of time in here digging through a long text and explaining that long text. And I'm kind of very much okay that this is an awkward week for us. I want this to be rare. But we still need to respond. God's, God's word is here. We have the great commission. We know that it's our one job to do. How in the world do we respond today? Well, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you can respond by meeting Jesus. Listen, I love that you're hanging around. You're always welcome in here. Press in, ask good questions, all those kinds of things. But listen, the unapologetic mission of National Baptist Church is to turn you into a disciple of Jesus, period. You can do that today. You don't have to wait till next week. You don't have to wait till the end of the year. We can get that knocked out now. 
good start to the new year. You can, you can meet Jesus. The Bible teaches that by default, all of us are separated relationally from God because of his holiness and because of our sin. There's not a person who could stand before him as the righteous judge of all the earth, as, as some kind of blameless person. Uh, I, I'm definitely the first in line. I know my heart. This is, the Bible teaches that we are all guilty, but God has made a way where there was no way, right? Jesus, the eternal Son of God, he put on flesh and he dwelt among us. He lived the sinless life that neither you nor I am capable of living. He died on the cross as an innocent substitute to make payment for your sin, and he was raised again from the dead as a perfect and sufficient, uh, because he is perfectly and sufficiently righteous. And so as the king who conquered sin and death, he calls on you in this moment to respond to him in repentance and faith, to turn away from your sin, turn to him as Savior and Lord. And you can do that this morning. You can respond to Jesus. I'd love to be helpful to you. I'd, to help you figure out what that response of faith looks like. You don't need me. You call out to Jesus instead of me, but I'd love to help you walk through that and figure those things out. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. That's, that's a time that we set apart to, to help you put action and flesh out to whatever God is calling you to do. And so use it. But if you're here this morning and you're already a follower of Jesus, how do we respond? Honestly, I, we can answer that with one simple question. You're beginning to fill up that 2022 calendar, right? And you're throwing all kinds of things in there that you're dreaming about and you're planning for, maybe even saving up money for. How much has our one job to do influence the shape of that calendar so far? I mean, it's the truth. And, and even more, even more stingingly, if, if, if you got all of the things on your wish list, if you managed to squeeze them all in this year, but no one around you came to know Jesus would that be a good year to you? Is that a win? We try to stay away from the guilt trips around here. We, I promise, we really do. But we also, at the same time, have an incredibly long history of prioritizing the right thing. Let's not get it backwards. We have a long history here of chasing after what's of most important to us, even if it costs us some other important thing. Oh, but what if we fail completely at this stuff? I mean, I'm looking back at 2021, kind of a train wreck. What if we fail completely at this stuff? What if we have spent the last several years even not caring and just blowing right through our lives without a single concern at all to what King Jesus has commanded us to do? Is it over? Is it too late? Or are, we gonna, are we in danger of being kicked off the Jesus team? This is why we need the cross, right? This is why we need the cross. That sin, and it is sin, that sin is included in the list of what Jesus came to pay for. I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I didn't do so well on the Make Disciples of All Nations piece last year. Had some other things that crept into my priority radar. And yet... We've got this picture. Bread and juice. Crackers and Welch's. I need this picture. I need to be reminded of what Jesus came to do. That, that he takes my sin 
and all that is owed for it. So we've got another way for the follower of Jesus to respond this morning. If you're here and you're a Christian, this, this table is for you. If you're not a Christian yet, we politely ask you to abstain. It's just crackers and juice. There's nothing magical here. But for those who are followers of Jesus, is a picture of something that has been done on our behalf, right? And so, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm going to pray and we're going to use our normal response song time to kind of make the magic happen. And so, I want you to go come down this way and go up that way. Grab, come forward, grab your elements and return to your seat. We'll take them together um, when we when we come back together. Can I get my guys up here to, to serve? If you're a follow, uh, whoever you are, however God's word is calling you to respond this morning, let's do that right now. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the Great Commission. Thank you for sending your son to not only die on the cross, but assume all authority in heaven and on earth. Because of what Jesus has done, he is the king. So God, as those who claim to love the king and follow the king and obey the king, would you help us walk in obedience this morning? Would you help us value the king's command more than any other thing pressing on our life? Where that, where that isn't true, convict us of sin, but also remind us of your grace. Draw us to yourself as you draw us into obedience. Father, for those in here who don't know you, would you make yourself known in this moment? Would you open eyes to see and ears to hear? Call people into your kingdom. And Father, those who, who are about to remember through bread and juice, would you call us into deeper relationship with yourself. Unite us as a church family even as we do so. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.